Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, May 28th. As some of you Cracked Rackets fans may know, we are so excited to continue our partnership with our friends at Aerobar because they're producing a product that we can really believe in. It is the only tennis-specific energy bar available on the market. Most importantly, it's made with the healthiest ingredients to ensure that you can maximize your performance on the tennis court. And yes, we obviously believe in the Aerobar product, but it's the organizational philosophies of Aerobar that attracted us to them so much here at Cracked Rackets. It's the fact that they are truly doing all they can for tennis players across the globe to offer you that nutritious option that's going to provide you with the sort of energy and the sort of nutrients you need uh, to play your best tennis on the court. And if you listen to last Thursday's episode with our friends from Aerobar, co-founders Mark Aerosmith, Andrew Golub, you'll know that we are so excited to uh, take our partnership with them to the next level and announce that we will be doing a weekly show with them here on these Thursday mini breaks uh, called Getting to the Point where we're going to focus on some of the lesser heralded things that make a professional tennis player the sort of talent and well-refined pro that they are. It's things such as, you know, because when you hit the professional tennis level, I suppose a little bit of background first, you know, all of these players can, you know, smack the cover off of forehands. Their backhands look immaculate. They're great at closing the net. Their serves world-class, but it's really the little things that distinguish, you know, the best players from the rest. It's the fact of, you know, what they're doing with their nutrition to give them that extra 10% edge or what they're doing behind the scenes fitness-wise, really the training they're putting in, you know, away from the limelight, off the biggest stages, you know, not, you know, the training they're also doing off the court, things such as stretching and recovery post-matches, all of those little details that, you know, we casual fans may not, we don't get to see as frequently, and so we may not be as well-versed in those details. Those are going to be the sort of subjects we talk about on these getting to the point episodes. And folks, let me just say, for our first episode, there is no person who maximized their talent more due to the work they did off the court, the fitness they were doing, ensuring that the nutrition uh, they were, you know, they were putting into their body was of the highest quality to maximize the most of their talent, get the most out of their tennis career. And our first guest today joining us on Getting to the Point is Michael Russell, a fellow Michigander, I should say. And my coaches used to always butter me up, you know, Alex, you're the hardest worker we've ever seen. Alex, you're the most talented Jewish tennis player to come out of Southeast Michigan since Aaron Crickstein. Well, after, you know, interviewing Michael Russell and after hearing about his story, his upraising, uh, upbringing, and even going back and talking to my coaches to ask them what young Michael was like, uh, they were very clear that they were just buttering me up, that there has never been a harder worker than Michael Russell. And I think all of us who recall his career, I mean, look, Michael Russell was five foot eight, you know, 160, 170 pounds, soaking wet. You know, on his best days, he was always going to come into a match with a physical disadvantage. And so he talked about what he had to do off the court to ensure that he was maximizing his physical capabilities at all times. You know, things such as push ups, sit ups, and, you know, more importantly than anything, the nutrition he was putting into his body. He talks about, you know, when he realized how early in his career that it was the little things such as the fitness. And nutrition that was going to put him over the top, give him, you know, some sort of advantage over his fellow competitors, over his peers. And so we explore what that looks like, what, you know, proper nutrition actually is, what a proper fitness regimen actually looks like. Now, of course, we have a bunch of fun in this podcast because if you listeners don't know, Michael Russell, the NCAA College Freshman of the Year during the 96-97 season uh, at the University of Miami, 
That was also the first season for Mark Aerosmith, co-founder of Aerobar. And, of course, Mark has a little fun on the pod at Michael's expense. Teases him a little bit. Uh, We talk about, of course, Michael's foray into coaching now and the sort of advice he gives to his top players. And, you know, for him, he's coaching Mackie McDonald, Tennis Sandgren. So I had to ask him at the end because of all the, you know, you hear so many folk stories about Michael Russell, the fitness freak, Michael Russell, what he's capable of. So I had to ask right now, they're doing drills, Tennis Sandgren. And Mackie McDonald, Michael Russell in the gym. Who's winning those drills? And I promise you will all enjoy his answers because it's the sort of answer you would expect from someone as disciplined, as dedicated as Michael Russell. So it's a spectacular podcast that I know all of you listeners will thoroughly enjoy. And again, for you listeners interested in Aerobar, before we even get into the show, I will remind you you can learn all about Aerobars. You can order up yourself in a case by going to aerobar.com. And once you get there, you know, you're going to fall in love with the product, I promise, especially once you taste your first Aerobar. They truly are delicious, and so once you buy one, you'll get hooked. And, you know, as an incentive, save a little money in your pocket. Our friends at Aerobar have offered us the promo code CRACKED15 so that you can get 15% off your order. You know, also let them know that we sent you there. And, you know, folks, again, two flavors right now, chocolate chip Aerobar, cinnamon honey oat. And, you know, I'm never going to complain about a chocolate chip anything because I enjoy chocolate in all of its forms. But I will tell you this, that cinnamon honey oat Aerobar is freaking delicious. It is going to blow the competition out of the water. I'm not even going to name those other energy bars, but I promise you're going to eat one Aerobar. You're never going to want to go anywhere else. So go to Aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15. Get yourself a case and tell our friends at Aerobar that we here at Cracked Racket sent you there. I also have to briefly say before we get into this podcast, because, you know, the mini break is a day in, day out product, and, you know, it takes a lot of hard work behind the scenes to make it possible. Of course, none of it would be possible without the support we also get from our friends at Midwest Sports. And that's because for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. That's why we're so happy to be partnered with them. But we also note that they offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match and have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their automated warehouse directly to your front door. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. And perhaps you don't know what you need. Well, I can tell you their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect pair of tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their tennis warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. You can find all of these products now at their website, MidwestSports.com, and I promise you're going to get on there. You're going to like what you see. You're going to want to order yourself up some stuff, particularly as all of us start preparing to head back to uh, the tennis court once again and, you know, to make things a little bit easier for you, to ensure you have all you need when you make that return, our friends at Midwest Sports, if if you use our promo code CR15, you're going to get an additional 15% off your order. You're going to get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, but the piece de resistance to this offer, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls with the use of that promo code CR15. So, Go to MidwestSports.com, use the promo code CR15, get 15% off your orders. Our friends at Midwest Sports, so kind to continue to support us here at Cracked Raggets. The least we can do is ask you to support them as well. So go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15. All right, with that said, without further ado, let's get to the conversation we have on our first episode of Getting to the Point, powered by Aerobar. Our conversation with Aerobar ambassador, former ATP Top 60 singles player Michael Russell right after this. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
Joining us on the podcast tonight is a player all of us are well familiar with. He reached a career high of number 60 in the ATP singles rankings in August of 27. Of course, his career spanned across three different decades. And I can say this proudly, a fellow former Detroit Country Day student, Michael Russell, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, it is our pleasure to have you here, and I have to say, I you know, I used to always think I was the pride of the Sports Club of West Bluefield, and then I called my coaches and I said, hey guys, you have any Michael Russell stories? And they said, boy, do we ever. And so, you know, just to start off today's podcast before we get into, you know, talking with Andrew and Mark and what you are up to now, um, for our listeners, how did you get involved in the game of tennis? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe your father, George, owned Square Lake? Exactly. So I I come from a tennis family. My father has been in the tennis business his whole life and owned Square Lake Racquet Club. He built Farmington Hills Racquet Club um, back in the 70s. So I was fortunate enough to be brought up in a tennis family. My brother played collegiately at Princeton, and um, so I was born into it, and Luckily, I love the sport, gravitated to it, and it is part of my life now. Yeah, I have heard multiple stories that I do want to ask you about, but let's start here. You know, you know, we're on the podcast. There are two Detroit Country Day State High School champions on the phone. Only one of us won his state finals match 6-0-6-0 at the two singles position. That was you. <laughs> Be honest. Did you let David play the one singles position that year? Uh um, well, let's just say that it made it easier in the household when we came home at night. So not not to say that I could beat him at that time, but it definitely uh, alleviated any family crises. Mm-hmm. And I have heard, you know, for you, you talk about growing up in a tennis family. You obviously were a top-ranked junior throughout your career. You know, was pro tennis something you always had aspirations to do? And, you know, did you train as such even when you were 14, 15, 16 years old? Didn't really want to be a pro until I was about 16. I, I just loved playing tennis. I mean, I love that one-on-one aspect of it. I know we always hear it, a little of the cliche, the gladiator you know, sport because there are very few sports that are one-on-one. And so, you know, I, I couldn't blame, I shouldn't say I couldn't blame anybody because we all like to blame everyone when we're playing. Um, but um, it was one of those things where it was just me out there. So I was responsible for the winning, the losing, the problem solving. And at that time, when I wanted to be a pro at 16 is when I also dedicated myself more to the fitness, the nutrition, and I know we're going to start getting into that as we go along here, but that was really um, the turning point in my whole tennis career at that young age. Mm. Mm-hmm. I have heard back in the day, and you know, firsthand testimony. I'll, I'll out my source. This is from Armand and Ed. They say you are always the first to the court. You're sprinting. You're bouncing when the group's being brought in. You're doing push-ups as you're waiting for drills to start. You know, a they say Arvid Swan always beat you in those push-up competitions. Is that true or false? And B, you know, was that just the attitude you felt you needed to have to get where you wanted to go? Yeah. So it was. I'll answer that in a multi-step process. So a I was. I am borderline psychotic, OCD. <laughs> um, so I just, I love doing fitness. Um, I still work out sometimes twice a day. And so it's become a, a part of my daily routine. And I knew that I wasn't going to be six foot three and just serving guys off the court. So I, fitness was going to be a big part of my career in order to be successful, you know, even at that stage in the junior circuit. Um, B, Arvid was beating me in those competitions, but there is an asterisk because Arvid was, I think, th- he's three or four years older than me, so I can't give him full credit. But, yeah, he did beat me in most of those, like, sprints, push-up competitions um, at Sports Club in Square Lake. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's good to hear. Uh, I suppose there was some truth to it. And, you know, I know you eventually uh, moved down to Florida to take tennis more seriously, train full time. You ultimately stay down there to do a year of college tennis in Miami. And I suppose that's where, you know, Mark and Andrew come into the equation. But for you, you know, what was it about moving to Florida that, well, you know, why was that a significant step you felt you needed to take at that time? And then, you know, ultimately, why did you think a year of college tennis would be better? beneficial for your development at the time when I was transitioning from 
16 to 17 years old. I, I just finished being ranked number one in the nation. I won Kalamazoo that year uh, in singles and doubles. And I just, I couldn't find enough competition in Southeast Michigan at that time. I mean, you met, you know, I did play sets with Ed and Armin and, and Brian Vallette, some of those guys, which was fantastic. But I had the opportunity to go down to Saddlebrook. And during that time when I was at Saddlebrook, my senior year in high school, Pete Sampras was training there. Um, I hit some with some of the female players as well, like Jennifer Capriati, um, and then Shuzo Matsuoka, Jim Courier. So at 16 and 17, to be able to train with the number one player in the world, I mean, it's it was invaluable. Like, I could really see how my game could develop and then combine that with, you know, playing four or five hours a day in the heat. And I just, I needed that step to see if I was ready to, to turn pro and, and continue those aspirations. Mike, uh, I got to be honest with you. I think actually one of your greatest accomplishments is going to a year of college with Mark and becoming a pro after that. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. I, he, a lot of temptations um, from Mr. Aerosmith. Sometimes uh, I did, I did succumb to them, but then I was good. And then the next day I always made sure I actually did my fitness. And that's well, probably that's, why you only stayed for one year. <laughs> that's why people are put here, you know, is to test other people and make them better. You know, a, a thank a thank you card would be nice. <laughs> so it was good, yeah. So, so then um, I felt like I wasn't ready to turn pro after finishing high school, even though I was number one in the nation. I felt like I needed to mature physically, mentally, and being at Miami for at least one or two years. The coach at the time at Miami um, was also my coach in juniors, and he knew Rodney Harmon. He knew that I didn't want to go to college all four years. I wanted to be a pro. And the fact that coming into Miami, playing number one singles, and I played, I think, 75 matches in one season, which you know, I, I was never able to get that many matches in the, in the junior circuit in one year. So it's just a whole lot of positives. Uh, sounds great. Um, yeah, I'm going to kind of take over from here uh, with just some questions. We've covered a little bit of it already, which is great. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask about, you touched on a little bit of, you know, turning 16 and really focusing on wanting to become a pro. You know, what was I've heard stories. Some of them I don't even know if they're true or not, like about all the ridiculous sit ups and push ups. Like what was the fitness um that you were doing when you were 15, 16, 17 and kind of what was the motivation behind it? I can't, I can't divulge my secrets there. No, um, <laughs> no. So it really was, it was kind of a, a pivotal point where I played a match at Kalamazoo, um, against a good friend of mine, one of the Brian brothers. And I lost in three sets and I was exhausted like midway through the match. And I, I was already a good player, but I just I my fitness level wasn't where it should have been, and I felt so bad after the match that I I personally felt like the only reason I lost was because my fitness let me down. So I basically made a pledge after that match that I didn't want to lose lose another match because of fitness. So it was literally like a light switch just turned on, and from that day on, and I don't know why. That's it goes back to the uh, the OCD borderline psychotic. I started doing a thousand sit-ups crunches a day. Now, most people, it's like you, you want to get fitter. It's not like the first thing to come to mind doesn't really say, okay, I'm doing a thousand sit-ups a day. You think, okay, I'm going to start doing some sprints and jump rope, which I did, but somehow I thought doing a thousand sit-ups every day was one of the keys. So I, I did. I started doing a thousand every day. And obviously the first month was miserable. And then after that, I got used to it. And I think it just, obviously my core was super strong, but I think psychologically it really helped me doing all that core work. And then I started doing a bunch of fitness as well. And to tie in your question, I also started really focusing more on my nutrition, um, trying to eat cleaner, good complex carbohydrates, um, clean proteins, you know, no fast foods and just making sure that whatever I put in my body was 
efficient and I was using that that caloric intake um, for the best energy expenditure. Nice. Yeah, no, I just, like I said, I'd heard the stories and I knew, I mean, it sounds like a lot. I, I, I do about a thousand crunches a month, um, which is solid. But it's that's I didn't even know, I didn't even know you're still doing crunches. That's pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. I'm I'm just starting to scratch the surface. Um, uh, kind of moving on. Um, one thing that I I like to ask, you know, everybody that we talk to that's had the ability and the privilege kind of to play top level junior tennis, college tennis. I mean, you were the I think you were the freshman of the year, right? In NCAA's. I was. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then obviously uh, an extremely long career on tour. Like, how do you feel, you know, what stages did your nutrition and fitness go in from juniors to college to professional tennis and even the different phases of your pro tennis? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question because obviously it, it evolves um, throughout the years and a lot of it is through experiences and knowing your body, what things work and what not. Um, midway through, I want to say like, the end of my junior career beginning of my pro career i realized i found out i should say that i was lactose intolerant so that made a big difference in my diet um so i had to eliminate a lot of the dairy products and um, if i was going to go dairy obviously the lactose free choices and really focusing on making sure that you know i had enough time to digest before working out um, the foods that I were eating, um, a lot of fruits, a lot of vegetables, um, no processed foods, you know, I, I think doing all those combined with, with all the work in the gym. Uh, and that's also another, I mean, I know your, your, your question, there's a lot of answers to it. So, um, the work in the gym, I realized that, um, given my genetic upbringing, it, it's, it's more important for, for me to be explosive and not lift as heavy because I want to be able to play, you know, two, three hours on court, or if I'm playing three to five, you know, later on in my pro career, I need to play maybe up to five hours. I need to make sure that I'm not too bulky, um, given my stature. So I really focused on being explosive and making sure I did a lot of the, um, high IT, HIT training, high intensity training to make sure that I could withstand, uh, all the traveling, uh, rigors that travel on tour, uh, very difficult to be playing in different countries and on the airplanes. And, you know, it really takes a toll on your immune system. So it's a whole periodization template that we, we look at in the beginning of the year to make sure that we're maximizing, um, our bodies and our games when we're going into the tournaments and that, that evolves depending on how many tournaments you're going to play each month. For sure. Mm-hmm. And to, to follow up on that, you sort of get into the balance you need to have. And, you know, late into your career, as late as 2009, 10, 11, 12, you're still playing 70-plus uh, matches on tour. And so to the sort of flip side of this, is there any fear for you of burning out? Obviously, you are a guy who likes to stay in shape, but how do you balance making sure, you know, you're peaking when you're playing tournaments and you're not coming into events, you know, overexerted on your energy because you're training too hard? Yeah, and that's and that's always finding the right balance. Um, I I have to do it now with uh, the players that I coach, Tennis Sangren and Mackenzie McDonald, making sure that they don't overtrain coming into the tournament. So when I was playing, especially as you alluded to later on in my career, I spent more time on recovery and less time on court. So being in the gym allowed me to get stronger. Um, physically which helped me mentally but then also really spend a lot of time on recovery which included you know stretching massaging uh, foam rolling icing ice baths contrast baths which is you know hot and cold two minutes in the hot uh, two minutes in the cold off and on Um, a lot of times if I did have a little bit of an injury using a little more holistic modalities like acupuncture dry needling um, rolfing. So just always looking for ways to make sure that I was a hundred percent physically, which would allow me to, 
to play, you know, and especially the way that I played, which was so physical on court. So I needed to make sure that my body um, was ready to go. And then that helped me mentally not be burned out. Yeah, no, like one of the things you just touched on there, Mike, like I always thought it was um, amazing and sometimes annoying when we were like getting ready to go eat or I was waiting on you, but that you would spend an hour or more when we were traveling together on the stretching, the icing, the foam roller, like that's an area I think most um, players neglect. Uh, what do you think, what do you think are the most neglected areas in the junior? You work with some juniors still. I know you work with, you know, tennis and Mackie, like not to get personal on them, but just in general, the guys on tour, like what do you think people are neglecting or the juniors? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the pro players do a good job of taking care of what needs to be taken care of. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. It's what I do now. Like when I'm not coaching on tour, I coach high performance uh, juniors and some adults in Houston at the Houston Racquet Club. And that's part of our conversations is really take care of the things off the court that you have accountability and responsibility for because there's so many variables when you're playing tennis that if you can take care of the things that you can control off the court, it allows you to have much more confidence and much more um, belief while you're playing. So that's, that's everything from nutrition to, like I alluded to before, you know, rolling, stretching, icing. So I think, I think the pros do a good job because they have access to it as well. You know, there's a lot of physios at each tournament. They can, you know, do soft tissue and massage. They can stretch you. Um, once in a while, I still have to remind them. But, you know, the, the juniors really have to make sure that they incorporate that into their daily regimen because it's, it's just as important as all their, their work on court, all their fitness, and all their time, you know, off court when they're just relaxing and eating or doing schoolwork. But they have to factor that into part of their daily routines. And Mike, in, in relation to what you're talking about there, you know, to all, any and all junior players or parents that are listening to this, where can their kid get an edge in all this um, amongst their peers? You know, obviously you played as high level junior tennis as you could play and you're around, around those peers as well. Where can they get an edge on their opponents? Well, I mean, it goes back to the fitness and the nutrition. So, you know, they, they can get an edge. Obviously, they're going to spend a lot of hours on court trying to hone certain skills and, and finding the right coach. But having, having the nutrition and the fitness where you can control that, you can walk on court knowing that you're fitter than your opponent already or you're, you have a better diet, which gives you that little bit of 1% confidence. Because as you progress up the rankings and your level in having that one percent difference is the difference of you know winning a match six four six four as opposed to losing six four six four because differences in matches can just be one or two points and that can come down to the fitness to the nutrition yeah totally agree i think it's underutilized obviously in junior tennis a lot of that yeah. stuff yeah yeah that's um you know i i was gonna ask you you know it's a good follow-up to that question you know, as a Aerobar ambassador, um, which has been a great relationship, why why did you get involved in Aerobar? Uh, I mean, I know you're huge on the nutrition and fitness, obviously, and kind of you know what nutrients you know you helped out early on in the process throughout. What were the nutrients, and what did you really want in the bar? What well, also answers Andrew's question a little bit too of of how do you get that advantage, and I think having the nutritional advantage even while you're playing because we've seen it so many times it's happened to me where you know you're feeling great you're moving well your energy levels are are perfect and you know it's easy to play your best tennis when you feel great but then all of a sudden you know midway through a match or deep in a match you're burning calories and and your level drops just a little bit and that that drop in level you know, you can lose the match because you're losing a couple points. You don't have the same focus. You don't have the same energy. And that's one of the things, that, you know, I loved about Aerobar. Obviously, we're all great friends. Um, we came from University of Miami. But when you guys came to me with that idea, 
and I loved her idea. And I said, well, yeah, that big part of my game is fitness and nutrition. So I'd love to be a part of it as well because it is, I mean, Aerobar, it's all natural for one. So that's, you know, especially nowadays we, we have to make sure that what we're putting in our bodies, we can absorb it. We can use all the nutrients. It's gluten-free. So it's easy to digest, which is imperative because when you're, when you're, when you're running side to side, it's 100 degrees outside. You don't want to have that bloat, that indigestion from, you know, a lot of the competing, I should say, energy bars and a lot of even just foods in general. You know, you see some of the players on court reach, you know, certain foods and, you're, and you kind of question why are they eating those where Aerobar has it's gluten free. It's all uh, all natural organic ingredients. And then it has a lot of electrolytes which need to be replaced when we're exerting ourselves, like potassium, sodium. So those, and um, even some magnesium. So it's just having those ingredients, having an energy bar that can give you sustained energy. It tastes phenomenal, which I was surprised that you can make a bar that is that efficient and that good for your energy systems that can still taste great. So I've been a big fan, big proponent of it um, ever since we we created it, and you know it's just I think it should be a part of every tennis player's racket bag. You know they should always have it in there because not only do they need it during fitness and during some intense practice sessions, but they should always have it when they're playing matches because they don't know when they're going to have to go into the bag and and get something and make sure that they sustain those those energy levels and keep that high intensity. Yeah, and can I just say, you know, speaking for you, Andrew, Mark, myself, I agree. We are all friends. We all know each other very well. So, it, you know, I appreciate it you saying that, Michael. We are. We definitely all knew each other back in the day in Miami. Yeah. That's, uh, I, pre- I feel included when you say something like that. Yeah. Um, no, and I, I was going to go with one more, um, you know, kind of one of the things that I heard some stories of, and I think – some of these guys might not know. I know everyone asks you about your match with Guga at the French, but you were down. I did not look it up. You were down match points first on main or first on qualies that year. Yeah. So that was, it was in 2001 and it was actually the fourth grand slam that I had to qualify for in succession. So it was my third year on tour and first round qualifying. I was down match point six, four, five, four, uh, at out serving and my opponent actually had had a volley at net and could have probably just bunted in the corner and went to the point but tried to be really flashy end up missing a drop volley i come back win the match i qualify and then four rounds later into the main draw i'm playing gustavo Querton, who's a two-time french open champion uh on philippe chatrian center court of french open and i have match point in the third set, up two sets of love. We have a 22-ball rally. Hits a ball off the back of the line, ends up winning the point. I lose the match in five sets, and he goes on to win his third French Open. So it was pretty wild uh, two and a half weeks, but uh, incredible, incredible experience. And you set, uh, you played this again. This one might be made up. At least I've told the story correctly about the – first round you know qualies match point down you played Bruguera second or third round and he had won the French Open already and you cramped him up right yeah so I, I played I played Sergey Bruguera second round and first two sets were two hours and 55 minutes and then in the third set I got up a break in the third set it was also about 40 close to 40 degrees celsius which in fahrenheit is like close to 100 degrees which is unheard of in paris and literally i remember looking over and his face was beat red and he just started walking to the net i was like no way and so he ended up retiring I mean, it was the longest three sets i've ever played i think it was three hours and like 25 minutes um and we were only halfway through like halfway through the third set and, and he ended up shaking in... my hands retiring and you went into the uh, training room when he was in there and jumped on the exercise bike, right? To show him how to show him that you weren't tired at all. 
Probably. That's probably something I would have done. Yeah. I mean, I was always jumping on the bike. I still do it after a, after a tough workout, after a match. Yeah. But I was always a little bit of the psychological advantage, kind of like in your face. Yeah. That I could, I could continue to play a few more hours if necessary. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, you know, to follow up, because again, you have played, you know, various continents, various countries, various levels of tennis throughout the globe. How difficult is it to stay disciplined and find nutritious options? Say you're in, you know, Uzbekistan for a challenger, or you just have a streak of, you know, European challengers and you're there for a couple of months. How difficult is it to stay disciplined and find options that are reasonable when you're on the road? It's difficult. I mean, especially when you're starting out and you're playing in some events that are in smaller cities and it makes it a challenge. I mean, you either have to travel with certain products, you know, they can make it easier. Usually that's more of a complement to meals, such as like protein shakes or uh, bars, which obviously Aero Bar would be a great choice to have with you uh, just as a, as a nutritious snack to have in between meals. But yeah, it's a constant battle. Um, fortunately we tried to, when I was playing my, my wife and I would usually rent like an Airbnb and she's a phenomenal chef. So she would cook a lot of the meals. So we really had that under control, but it, it's, it's a constant struggle. I um, mean, you, you have to make sure that, you know, you're getting the right foods. Um, nowadays there are, are more options especially in the bigger cities that you go to there's a you can find a lot of local markets and a lot of grocery stores carry a lot of different type of products that can satisfy if you have certain allergies or whatnot but uh yeah you you got to do your due diligence before traveling and make sure that you're prepared mike let me ask you a question um you know i know you and your wife have traveled the world together how important has she been to the, your success and your career. Cause I mean, I obviously see you, I, you know, on Instagram and everything, you guys do everything together, cooking and all kinds of stuff. How important has she been to your fitness, nutrition, everything? Yeah, no, she's been, uh, the main rock. Um, you know, she's had so many different roles from chef to support to, uh, she's had to run rackets to get strung during matches um obviously she's in the stands always cheering and rooting me on so it's and also you know traveling on tour it's it can be extremely lonely so to be able to travel with my wife and have not only my my best friend but my you know my support team she kind of all encompasses that um it was invaluable i mean she helped me get through a lot of matches and and again you know being prepared to travel to all these tournaments you know she really helped with all the organization and everything and uh isn't it wasn't it her birthday yesterday today it was what, what? no yeah, yeah it was it was her birthday yesterday so yeah uh, oh. yeah obviously right now it's a can't celebrate with everybody uh in person but we had some some calls with some family members a little zoom birthday party and uh she had a, a lot of messages and a lot of love, so it's uh, yeah. which she was really happy about. We had a little well, little, we all little mini her, at we home celebration. Happy, <laughs> we all wish her the quarantine happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Was, was that yeah, a cheat yeah. day for you? Is that a day where you're you'll indulge a little bit in some birthday cake? Oh yes, yeah. I made a <laughs> chocolate fudgy brownie yesterday, mm. so yeah. you definitely will not see me usually eat that. But I I, I made it yesterday. It was now. If I recall, Mike, you uh, what was your when you won matches or whatever? You had one of those little Ferrero Rocher things, wasn't that what you did for a while? I did that for a while. Yeah, it was kind of the the incentive. I had if I won, I had one Ferrero Rocher. So I don't know. It's it's kind kind of funny that that that's the uh, motivation to win a professional tennis match to get one Ferrero Rocher. But when, hey, whatever works. When I was coaching Mike and he would win win matches, I would have seven Jack and Cokes. It was it was great. Yeah, it's, it's probably it's probably not the ideal uh, liquid to have as a as a travel com- companion. Yeah, I mean, as long as you're eating arrow bars on the side, you're fine. Yeah, no, it all it all works out. Yeah. yeah, you can balance it. Out. That's how it's been. 
Yeah, so with someone who is, you know, rigorous about your fitness and, you know, disciplined as you, Michael, I got to ask, how do you end up, I know you said your coach is there, but Miami is the antithesis of disciplined and the antithesis, you know, you're there to have a good time. Case in point, Mark Aerosmith, you know, nice to meet you. Um, But, you know, how, for you, what was it about Miami that appealed to you? And I know you are a coach now to obviously high level pro players, but for kids making that decision of, you know, they're trying to choose what college to attend, what advice might you give them in making their decision? Yeah, so for me, the main reasons going to Miami were the fact that Rodney Harmon was there um, because I already had that previous coaching relationship with him the year before in juniors. So he knew my game really well, um, knew that I wanted to be a professional player. And so that it just streamlined right into it. And then also the fact that I would play number one at Miami. So I would, I would be getting a lot of really tough competition. And then the fact that they had a great facility and the weather was phenomenal. You know, South Florida, you're looking at usually sunshine all year round. And I still could get a good education. I mean, they have great academics. And like any school, it's, it's what you make out of it. So I had a, I had a great time at Miami and I think it's important for every every junior looking at schools to you know make a list and say what your priorities are you know and your priorities the who the coach is how good the players are where you'll play on the team the academics where the school is located you know how close to family I and mean, then there's there's a lot of different lists and items that you need to check off and prioritize until you find you know that that, that perfect fit Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And if I so, I want to ask Mark a question about freshman year. Michael, uh, Mark, give me the details because you you know you were there. Was he the you know fitness not the hard worker that he obviously you know has grown to be have the reputation of as a freshman, or was there a little bit more of a fun side to young Michael? Oh, there's uh, both. I mean, I I I have told people a lot. I mean, I actually you know you know and these guys know. I mean, I coached the number one junior in the country now in 18s and I spoke to him today about the importance of balance and still having fun um I think Mike had a good amount of fun um not as much fun as I had um actually probably more I I played uh one match my freshman year and lost it and he won like 50 matches so he might have had more fun altogether um but, but yeah no Mike uh trained hard um we didn't have the most rigorous fitness at our practices freshman year. Um, maybe not as rigorous as we maybe thought it was going to be. And Mike was always doing extra, um, working hard, kind of motivating the other guys on the team as well. Um, I think Mike could tell you we had a very strange mix on that team of a couple upperclassmen who are great guys who didn't really care about their tennis anymore. Um, and then some young guys. I mean, Mike's roommate, I think Yvonne got to the semifinals of NCAs as a freshman. Yeah, um, I mean, Yvonne finished the year like 20 in the nation. Yeah, I mean, and he got to the semi. I know he I know he beat Paul Goldstein at, at NCAs that year. I mean, so we had a mix of guys really wanting to be pros, doing everything to become a pro, and some guys – just having a good time being super talented um me i don't know what i was um but yeah no it was uh mike had a had a great mix and i think that's why he was why he was successful And, you know, Mike, to follow up, you sort of mentioned earlier why you thought college tennis was uh, necessary for your pathway to development. And, you know, again, during the course of your time in the game, the technology changed, courts slowed down, you know, what strings and racket frames are allow players to be capable of is very different than it was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, you know, we see now at the top of the game, it seems like every guy is 6'4 or taller. You look at a guy like a Zverev, a Hachinov, uh, you know, you can go through the list. Medvedev 6'6", on and on and on, and even Tsitsipas is a quiet 6'4". I'm curious how you think the change in technology, uh, you know, changed the way the game of tennis played. Do you think the sport is more physical now than maybe it was in the late 90s, early 2000s? I think think the technology started to change, as you alluded to, in the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, the rackets were all already graphite, titanium, 
it was basically the first introduction of the polyester strings. And I, I think I'm actually the first person in the United States to use Luxalon. I don't know. I have to like find like some stat because <laughs> I, I remember, I remember getting a set of it while I was in Europe. Somebody gave it to me to try and I started using it and I was like, wow, this is amazing. This polyester string. And then I took it back and then it seemed like everybody started using uh, that string from then on. But I think, I feel like the, the main difference in the last 10 years, I would say, is that they really slow down the courts and the balls are a lot heavier. So it really makes it tough to hit through the court unless you're 6'4 and just absolutely nuking the ball. And that's, you know, the average height, I think now it's close to 6'3 in the top 100. I think it's about 6'2 and a half. And that's why you see everybody is such a good athlete. And the fact that there is more money in the sport, a lot of the athletes are traveling with teams now. It's not just individual players traveling around in this nomadic lifestyle. It's, you know, they have their their own coaches, they have their own physios, some of them even have doctors that are, you know, are traveling with them. So it's a whole business. So you, it's, it's just, you know, they really, everything is regimented and documented to make sure that you know, these athletes, these, these pro tennis players are playing at the maximal level each week. Mm -hmm. And for you, you know, as a coach now, you know, I'm curious, A, why was coaching something you wanted to pursue after your tennis career and, you know, be on a more fun note? Is it more stressful to be playing, you know, that deep in the third set match, that deep in the fifth set match, or to be the coach of the player who's playing that match that's late in the third or fifth? Yeah. So, I, in 2015, that was my last year on tour, and I, I already started coaching a little bit in Houston. Um, I also worked a little bit with Bethany Maddox-Sands that year and Donald Young, and I really liked it. I really enjoyed helping other people, and, and I thought that you know the mental side of the game, I was really good at analytically breaking down my opponents because for most of my time, on the pro tour, I didn't have a coach. So I had to do it myself, really come up with strategy and tactics and improve my own game. So I think that gives me a little bit of an advantage when I'm coaching some of the players now, because I do have a good eye for the game and the fact that I enjoy it so much. Um, but as far as, as coaching on tour, um, it's a little bit different. Um, I know your, your question was about what was a different to coaching on tour compared to the juniors. No, oh, no. How is it more stressful oh, to be definitely. playing the match or to be coaching I think it's, it? I think it's it's different. You know, it you have zero control over the player. You you try to put them in the right frame of mind. You try to get them prepared through all the practice, whether that's practice sets and matches and mentally ready and physically. And but at the end of the day, when they're on court. You know, it's it's up to them. You try to give them support when they're playing, and and try to urge them on. And if you can say some things during the match to get them to analyze better, or try to break down their opponent, then that's phenomenal. But you have zero control. So when, and when you're playing, you have all the controls. So I, I find it actually more stressful watching and coaching than than playing for sure. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel, but yeah, I uh, agree with you 100. <laughs> percent yeah, when it's, no, totally I, of, when it's totally out of your control, it's so frustrating. And on top of it, when you're a coach and you're telling a player, you know, maybe you go over this whole game plan, this whole strategy, and it just goes out the window when they're on court, and you're you're just pulling your hair out. So for sure, uh, And then I try not to, to show. Different. I mean, I try not to show much emotion um, on court. You know, when, when I'm in the box watching because. You know, I show some positive support, but you don't want to show any negativity. But then sometimes that can be <laughs> that can be viewed differently from the player because they want to see a little more emotion. But at the same time, you don't want them to get too high and too low. So that's also a, a tough dynamic because you want to yeah. want to keep that poker face, but still, you know, inside your emotions are you know are going up and down. Yeah. I'm 100% the same way. I literally sit there, I have sunglasses on, my hat forward, and I I have my hand on my chin kind of and i don't move because i don't want any like you said only positive you know but i'm dealing with a lot of juniors so you know a lot yeah. of the parents are doing enough of the negative 
on that part. Yes. So I'm just kind of just trying to be that neutral figure. Um, so, but yeah, that it is really difficult to sit there and bite your lip and just give positive emotion when you just you're like, God, why, why, why aren't you just doing what we talked about? Yep. Yep. So. Yeah. No, without question. You know, you've doled out so much advice to our listeners today. And, you know, as an Armin Molino disciple, I'm sure your hourly rate is uh, is not free. Uh, but I will ask one more question for you on, on that note, because, you know, all of us right now dealing with various quarantine statuses, at the very least, none of us are going to the gym right now. And I'm sure, you know, throughout your time uh, on tour, you're staying at hotels where maybe there's not a hotel gym or you just don't have access. You know, for you, all you really need is a floor, I suppose, to do push-ups and sit-ups but for those of our listeners who are getting you know restless at home looking for some workouts they can do to start getting back in shape and getting loose uh what would you recommend to them that they do you know what are the easy at-home workouts they can do to start getting back into shape yeah no definitely um you can be very creative with with nothing so push-ups sit-ups planks uh you can do squats um if you're looking for Weights to hold, you can hold milk cartons, you can hold paint cans, you know, anything that adds a little bit of weight. You can do lunges, you can do shoulder raises with uh, uh, cans, you know, whether that's a can of beans or soup cans. Um, if you're looking for cardio, you can jump rope. If you don't have a jump rope, you can do jumping jacks, you can do, you can run in place. And, you know, you can create different stations, you know, where it's, it's 30 seconds. Let's see how many push-ups you can do in, in 30 seconds. And then after that, you go right into holding a plank for 30 seconds, right into doing as many squats as you can do for 30 seconds. So there's there's different ways that you can be creative and still get a good workout at home with you know very little to no equipment. Yeah, no, without question. Well, my my last thing for you right now, because again, I know you are as fit as ever. You, Mackie, tennis are all in the gym. Who's winning the fitness competitions? Because I know you're competing against them. <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that question. Um, <laughs> I've, I think it depends on what we're doing, but I, I've seen. I mean, both both Sanger and and, and Mackie. I mean, they they do a lot of fitness, and they have a they're their thresholds are very high, um, as is mine. So it's, it's tough to uh, put a label on it. But. Alex, um, one thing that's funny, follow up on that, and this is a couple years ago um, in Memphis, I believe, I got a picture and a text from Steve Johnson at maybe 6 a.m., and he was super excited that he was getting to the gym that early to work out, and the picture was of Mike finishing his workout. Um, I don't, I don't know if Mike would remember that, but I mean, I was obviously not there, but it was truly like real early in the morning and Stevie all of a sudden got disappointed because Mike had already gotten there and crushed a workout. I, I do remember that. It was freezing outside too. I remember, I think I did sprints like on the outside hard courts too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. All that answer told me was that the answer is yes. You think you can compete with them just fine. Yeah. Uh, that's what I, I learned can, from I, that I answer. I can hold my own i'll leave it at that <laughs> uh, well i'm glad to hear it you know again it's uh, us bloomfield hills kids we stay in shape right yeah, I have to. Uh, that, that yeah that's what they know us for you can't go to the franklin cider mill if you're not in shape and so we all got to stay in shape but uh you know with that being said michael again thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us hope you are staying safe and healthy and again on behalf of all of us please wish your wife a happy birthday I will. No, I really appreciate it. It's great chatting with you guys. Uh, thanks, Alex. Thanks, Mark. Thank Andrew. And uh, no, it's been fun. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Hope all of you enjoyed our first episode of Getting to the Point, our brand new weekly episode here on the Mini Break Podcast, sponsored by our friends at Aerobar. A huge thank you to our friend Michael Russell, and as he said on the pod, yeah, me, him, Andrew, Mark, we're all friends. We go back years, but, you know, a huge shout-out to Michael for taking the time to chat with us. Always a huge shout-out to our friends at Aerobar, uh, Andrew and Mark, and again, to learn more about Aerobar, if you're intrigued in the product and I don't know how you can't be tennis fans, be sure to go to their website, aerobar.com. Again, you use that promo code CRACKED15. You're going to get 15% off your order. And I'm telling you, folks, it's the only tennis-specific energy bar out there. They truly are delicious. This is not me offering you up some fluff. I promise you're going to take a bite into that first Aerobar, and you're going to say, what was I doing beforehand? Why was I eating that other junk, putting that nonsense in my body? The products really are that good, folks. I can promise you that. So go to aerobar.com, order yourself up a box. Uh, Use that promo code CRACKED15. Get 15% off. And again, we're so excited to be doing these Getting to the Point episodes each and every week here on the Mini Break Podcast. Our friends at Aerobar promising the guests are only going to get better and better from here. And it's going to be hard to top Michael Russell. You know, from one Detroit Country Day alum to another, we seriously, you know, we know what we're doing. We know how to handle a microphone. We know how to handle a podcast episode. You know, even back in 2006, Country Day was offering Podcasting 101 as a sixth grade elective so i suppose it's just built into our bones by the way folks that was a joke country day never offered podcasting 101 but clearly there's something that they do during that uh educational time that uh, incentivizes being a talker because it was great to have michael russell so eloquent with his answers and clearly i can talk a little bit as well anyways that was a bit of a tangent a huge thank you once again to our friends mark aerosmith andrew golub at aerobar for setting this up and again the thing you can do as a listener if you appreciate these episodes the way you can express your support go to aerobar.com again one more time use that promo code cracked 15 uh, to get 15 percent off your orders anyways you know that's not the only thing going on at cracked rackets this week just a little bit of housekeeping before we go if you have missed any of our content from the past week of course be sure to go to our website crackedrackets.com. this interview with michael russell andrew and mark was exceptional and maybe the most fun interview i did of the week but tied for one i would say the on video interview I did with our friend B Dog, Bethany Maddox Sands, her third appearance on the podcast. We thought we had to change it up somehow. So we'd incorporate a video aspect to it, and of course, super producer Daniel Westoff putting his spin on that video which all of you can find on our YouTube channel now. It was great to have B-Dog back on the show because we got to ask her right away about the inaugural Labor Cup-style event happening in Charleston during June. It's going to be 16 women, two teams of eight, players like Bianca Andreescu, Madison Keys, Sloane Stevens, Sophia Kennan. Obviously, B-Dog's going to be a captain in the event and so many more uh, already committed to play this event. And again, I keep saying this, but even if the ATP, WTA, ITF are currently carrying on as usual. I know I speak for all of us tennis fans when I say, you know, a team style event is something we will always get excited about. And so I ask Bethany about that uh, Charleston event. I ask her about hosting Tennis United, the new ATP WTA YouTube show alongside of Vashik Pospisil, what it's like for her to go from interviewee to interviewer and, you know, so much more fun, of course. She is, you know, we're never not going to have fun when Bethany Maddox-Sands is on the podcast. So all of you can go check that out in video form or in podcast form as well. I know yesterday on the Great Shot podcast, we hit the two-hour mark on the pod we released. Uh, it was another edition of CR Classics, this time the podcast form of Ben Rothenberg and my conversation about the 2005 Australian Open Women's Semifinal where Serena Williams comes back from a set down, ends up knocking off Maria Sharapova to advance to the final. And for those of you not familiar with you know WTA history during the aughts, Uh, This is a podcast for you because this match is so significant to really a generation of WTA results. There was a time period when people thought, okay, you know, A, Serena wasn't the champion that she eventually became, but B, people thought maybe Sharapova is going to be the one who runs off 15, 16, 17 plus slam titles. Uh, And this match really does encapture a lot about the way that rivalry ended up transpiring over the, you know, larger theme over the course of 10, 15 years during their career. So, I think this is a it's a CR classic you all will enjoy. Of course, Ben and I dive into all of the context surrounding that match, the aftermath, and more. We also talk about 
what we were both up to in 2005, and I will tell you guys, there was a bit of a scandal for me in 2005 that I express or that I talk about during the podcast that I think all of you will enjoy hearing about, so be sure to go check that podcast out as well, and then, of course, be sure to check out our newest podcast, the Inside Out Podcast. We ran the Pete Sampras-Andre Agassi episode on Monday's edition of this week's mini-break, uh, but it's our first narrative-based show, and our first season focuses on the history of American men's tennis during the open era. We try and declare who the best American male was during any given season of the ATP Tour since, what, the open era started in 1967, whenever it may, that may be. It's a really fun podcast series. All of you will enjoy season one, and I know all of you fans, particularly you college tennis fans, a little bit of a teaser there, will enjoy season two, which will uh, hopefully be launched sometime soon. So just go like, rate, subscribe, review all of those podcasts, the GSP, the Cracked Interviews, this podcast, the Inside Out podcast as well. And again, be sure to check out our YouTube channel as so many of these podcasts being turned into incredible videos by our super producer, Daniel Westoff. Oh, and by the way, speaking of super producer Daniel Westoff, shout out to he and Max Fliegner for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. It's very easy for me to talk into a microphone, much less easy to make that sound coherent, and they do that every day. So shout out to the two of them. Again, if you've missed any of our content, be sure to go to the website, Crack Rack. Com for the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at Cracked Rackets. You want to hop into my DMs personally, feel free to. It's at Great Shot Pod. A huge thank you once again to our friends at Aerobar. Go to Aerobar.com. Use the promo code Cracked15. Get 15% off your order. Another huge shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports. You use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order when you go to MidwestSports.com. 15 just seems to be the number here, folks, in case you're noticing a theme, but you know, you save 15% one place, 15% another place, that's 30% in total, and that sounds like a good number to me. A shout out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, but from the two of them, from our friends at Aerobar, again, Mark Aerosmith, Andrew Golub, thank you to the two of them for taking the time to organize this podcast with our guest, Michael Russell, for the three of them, for our friends at Aerobar and Midwest Sports, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 